You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Fathers matter. And the idea behind the series is really twofold. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I want to emphasize the, the growth that uh, is the potential growth in so many dads to be. Uh, young dads especially, that are looking to become the kind of fathers they need to be. Secondly, I want us to understand there is those of us who are fathers and have spent a lot of our life being fathers. We've not been perfect dads. We've, we've, we've made mistakes. Our kids are not uh, in church today because of us. They're in church because there's a heavenly father that deserves all the credit. Amen? And that's what we've been singing about. What we sang about this morning was not you and me. We sang about God, our father in heaven who is the perfect dad, who makes no mistakes. And our kids need that more than anything else. And by the way, dads, we need that as well. And so we've been emphasizing our Heavenly Father. The goal of this series, we said last week, was to proclaim how God the Father fills the void of human father failure and heals the hurt or the the wound of every human father wound. Now, I have no problem admitting that I, I know that in my little world of of fathering for the last 28 years, uh, man, there's been, there's been mistakes that I've made. It, I even can say on an elementary level that I've got some wounds in my own life. My story would be that when I was uh, uh, two, maybe three years old, my, uh, my father and mother were divorced. And so for my basically my entire childhood, uh, I was raised in a single-parent home apart from my father, who we saw every other weekend. Uh, and then when my mom moved to Arkansas, which at the time was hard, but we see now, looking back, that was the, the, the move that God used to bring me to the gospel. Uh, that's how I met Jesus, was in, it, because of my mom moving away. And, and so I, I, I can't say that I've had any traumatic event in my life that I would say has scarred me to the point uh, where today I'm dealing with, with bitterness or anger, but I will tell you that I've had to overcome on an elementary level some issues and some things that have gone on in my life as a result of not having a father near. We said last week that father wounds are common. And we mentioned three different types of father. The permissive father. Uh, that's the father that says, whatever you want. And then we're today going to talk about the abusive father who says, whatever I want. Next week we're going to address the passive father that says, Whatever. And it's going to be, I think, a very helpful series. Um, Last week I was encouraged as we were dismissed and I was standing in the back. And even this morning after the first service, you know, the response wasn't, you know, a lot of hoopla and, you know, and smiles and laughs. But it was very encouraging to see so many dads that were affected by the truth that, that, that just expressed it like this. A humility, an understanding that we all need this. There's levels that we need it at. And it's very helpful. And so last week we gave some statistics. I don't think I'm going to go back and give a lot of statistics. I thought I'd give this one because it was staggering. 1960, 8% of homes in our country were fatherless. 8%. 19, uh, rather 2018, 38%. So you're talking about an increase of like, you know, what is that? I, that's, that's triple, almost quadruple. 
the percentage. If you were to show that statistic about cancer, it'd be on the front page of the newspaper. If you were to give that statistic about heart disease, it'd be on every commercial on television. But you give that statistic about fatherlessness, and it's almost like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Because it's almost as if fathers are being dismissed today as really not all that important. It's really not a big deal to have a father. Fathers really don't matter. And that's why I call the series Fathers Matter, because they, they do matter. The bottom line is we all have father issues. We all do. I mean, if you have had a father of any sorts, there's been issues, I'm sure. Uh, maybe there's even been deeper wounds and deeper hurts. But I want to say this, that not all suffering is abuse. And we're going to address that as we go through the message. And I think you'll appreciate some of the things I have to say about this very sensitive issue. Uh, Those these father issues that we have do hinder our our progress. They diminish our progress of living the victorious Christian life. Now, my wife and I have experienced a lot of this as we've counseled and dealt with people and helped people. And it's really connected to your first note in your worship guide that will be on your screen. And here it is. That earthly fathers are massively connected to what we think about our father in heaven. And that statement is one I want to sink in. That you and I, dads, as earthly fathers, we are massively connected. I use that word on purpose, intentionally. We're massively connected to what we think about our father in heaven. Therefore, some things need to be learned, but... Sadly, some things need to be unlearned. And although these father wounds that we've experienced hinder us, I have some good news. You can get past it, and you can get on top of it. And that's why we're looking to the Word of God, and we're finding some sad examples, some some poor examples in Scripture, but we're turning that around to our perfect example, God the Father. So with that said, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 13. You're probably there. We're going to begin by addressing some questions to try to understand this man by the name of Saul. Saul was, a dis- uh, honestly, his whole life was pretty destructive. Uh, you know, the beginning and the end, nearly, is just, there's so many destructive things that go along with telling this man's story. And we're going to do it rather quickly this morning, but we're going to do it, I think, semi-thoroughly. So pay close attention and, and look to your Bibles because we're not using the screen much this morning. But thank God we've got the written word or the electronic word or whatever you've got. It, it'll all work this morning. So First Samuel 13. Question number one. Like Saul, did my father try to rationalize beyond all reason? That should be on the screen. Did my father try to rationalize beyond all reason? Now, let's go to the scriptures. First Samuel 13, look at verse 1 here. Speaks of Saul. He's fighting the Philistines. He lived for one year, then he became king. And so, I want you to fast forward down to a little statement. You should see it around verse 8. It should be in most of your Bibles. Saul's unlawful sacrifice. Do you see it there? Let's discuss that for just a moment. It says, right before that, it says, Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time that was appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. 
Now, let's stop right there for just a moment, because if you understand the Old Testament and the division of labor, you would understand that it's really not much different today. For instance, uh, carpenters usually don't do brain surgeries. Can I get an amen? I mean, we really don't want that. That's not something we would prefer for a carpenter to do. Uh, Let's let the brain surgeon do the brain surgery. Let's let the carpenter build the houses. Well, in the Old Testament, kings don't offer sacrifices to God. There was a boundary there that was made by God for a purpose. But what you're going to see here is that Saul had no respect to boundaries at all. And so he says, bring the burnt offering to me and the peace offerings. What would be the response after that when I say this? And he offered the burnt offerings. Oh, right. Oh, man. He did? I thought he wasn't supposed to. He wasn't. But he did anyway. He he just disregarded the truth. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel comes and Saul goes out to meet and greet Samuel. And Samuel says, what have you done? What have you done? Now, I want you to check out these rationalizations. As I read you these rationalizations that this man gave, I want you to understand before we read them, what he should have done is just simply said, when Samuel said, when he was confronted, he should have said, I'm sorry, you're right, I repent. Thank you for confronting me. Now, let me stop here and say this about oftentimes about sermons, about conversations, about discipleship, about small group, about the Holy Spirit's personal conviction as you walk with him day to day. You're going to be confronted with things. Not every sermon I preach is peachy keen and, 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 and a pat on the back. I mean, and, and prayerfully, I'm not, I'm not saying what I feel or what I want to say. It's just what Scripture says. But when we're confronted with something and, and when we feel that, that, that sense of, of conviction, we respond with, I repent, not rationalizing why we did what we did. And yet, we see here that Saul did that. He says, notice if you would please, in verse number 11, he says... Well, well, Saul says, when I say that the people were scattering from me, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, number one, he says, "Uh, it's the people's fault. I mean, wait a minute. You don't understand that the people were scattering. And, and, And then you didn't come within the days appointed, Samuel. You were supposed to come before now. So now it's not only the people's fault. Secondly, he rationalizes and says, it's Samuel's fault. And then he goes on to say, and then the Philistines, well, well, they laid mustard at mishmash. It's the Philistines' fault. It's, it's, the, it's the enemy's fault. And then he goes on to say, now the Philistines uh, will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. I mean, God, you weren't even there. You didn't even help me. Now he's blaming God. So in just a few words, he finds a way to rationalize this mistake, this sin, By blaming people, blaming Samuel, blaming the Philistines, blaming God. And then he goes on to say, well, actually I had to force myself to do it. You know, I didn't really want to do it. I I just had to do it. An abuser will always give a thousand reasons why they did what they did. And they're all worthless. Every one of them. 
He goes on, if you follow this, he offers the burnt offering. And Samuel says to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I want to say this, abuse persists when no one has the courage to confront. And Saul tried to disregard the impact of his behavior, but thank God Samuel would have none of it. Samuel was willing to confront him. And I want us to understand that abuse will persist when it's not confronted with courage. We have to admit, dads, right now that we are not perfect fathers. That we sit here humbled by the, the, the perfect one, the God of the ages, who is the perfect heavenly father, who is our example and who we strive to be like. But because we're not perfect fathers at times, our behavior is not going to be what it should be. So let me once again say that abuse and bad behavior are not the same thing. Let's remember that we're going to see a minimization of suffering, of the suffering of people who've been abused when we call behavior abusive when it's just bad behavior. So we're going to be very careful in this message. And I know I'm walking and I'm okay with that. It's, it's okay. When you're prepared, you can walk on, on a very sensitive subject on thin ice and understand that it has to be addressed. And we have to understand the different levels oftentimes that persist, uh, that, that, that rather uh, are involved in in leading to abusive behavior. It starts as just bad behavior. So let's move on to number two. Question two, like Saul, did my father persist in spite of the damage that he was doing to others? Did he, did he just keep on going even though it was hurting those around him? Well, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 14 and let's begin in verse number 24 where Saul, it says, it should say in your Bible something like this, Saul's rash vow. Now actually, It should say Saul's rash vows, plural, because there are several here. It says, and the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day, verse 24. So Saul had laid an oath on the people. Here's what happened. Are you ready? Simply put, they were in war. They were hard pressed. There was a lot going on. I mean, you might liken it uh, to uh, sometimes what we go through every week. The people are hard-pressed. You've got a lot on you. You're working hard. Maybe there's been times in our economy when we've been in a, in a, in a depression and it's been, it's been, uh, there's been a struggle. Maybe in our church's life, there's been time when things have been hard. It hasn't always been, you know, what we would want it to be. Maybe in your own personal life, you've come to church and you've carried a burden. Well, imagine the people were going through some really hard stuff. And Saul's answer to that was to say, cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening and I'm avenged of my enemies. Now, first of all, they weren't his enemies. They were God's enemies. But the abuser usually tries to look at himself as the one who is hurting and no one else is hurting. They're his enemies. And so he says, here's the answer. We're not going to eat till this is over. No one can eat. And so the people, it says, none of the people had tasted food. So what happens is, is he, it goes on and, and Jonathan was not actually in the know of that, of that vow. He didn't hear that vow. So they come out of a, of a really hard battle, if you will. They kind of come out of the woods and, 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 and they're seeking some refuge. And 
Jonathan sees some honey there on the ground. He takes a stick or a sword and he sticks it in the honey and he starts eating it. And everybody around him says, oh no, the king's son just ate something. This is not good. But again, remember, it's really hard to, to approach an abusive king or to mention to an abusive king uh, or abusive person or an abusive father, anything. So kind of mums the word, nobody's speaking of the fact that, oh no, Jonathan's in trouble. He, he did exactly what the king said not to do or else what? Well, here it is. So Saul says, let's go down to the Philistines by night and plunder them into the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, again, we're in verse 36, 37, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. So Saul inquired of God. Saul begins to pray. And he says, shall I go down to the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he didn't hear an answer from God. And so Saul interprets that as there's sin in the camp. God is not speaking to us. So somebody must have eaten something and they need to die. And so it says, Saul says, come here, all you leaders, verse 36 of the people, verse 38, and see how this sin has arisen. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, rash foul number two. Are you ready? Though it be in Jonathan, my son, even if if it's my own son who's eaten, he shall surely die. What kind of father is this? This man's a maniac. Even if it's my own kid, I'll kill him. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. No one would say a word. And so they took up this, this concept of casting lots. And without going into great detail of how that transpires, Old Testament, this would have been often, even at the, at the cross, they cast lots. And this was often used to determine and make a decision. And, the, and, 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 and spiritual things were involved in this process to determine. Well, the, they did cast lots. The lot fell upon Jonathan. In verse 43, Saul says to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Look at this beat down kid. Here I am. I will die. How sad. And then Saul says, God do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. And then the people in defense of Jonathan, spoke up finally and said, no, 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 this Jonathan is, no, we should not do this and this wouldn't be right. And they sort of come to the defense and they advocate for Jonathan and they don't kill him. Saul didn't, but they spared his life. Did my father persist in spite of the damage done to others? You can see here a pattern of abusive behavior, but how did it get this bad? So I want to give you some levels that lead to abusive behavior, dads. And I want you to kind of put yourself in, 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 in your shoes, in my shoes, as an imperfect father. Level number one, I think all of us can relate to this. And I'm going to say it's an intimidating level. It's intimidating behavior. It's a behavior that is not appropriate. It's not acceptable. It is sinful, but it's not abusive. Let's call intimidating behavior the dad that might just at times just kind of lose a little bit. He slams his fist on the table and says, that's enough. He raises his voice. The milk falls over. And all of a sudden, prayerfully, he realizes I've crossed a line. At that moment, thankfully, though I've been guilty of those moments in 28 years of being a dad, I've been guilty of intimidating behavior. It's not appropriate, it's not acceptable, and it's sinful. And so I've had to apologize. I've had to say, as a result of 
sensing the fear and, and sensing the moment. You know, my dad was here last two weeks ago, right? Well, my dad was telling a story to his grandkids about the time that he bought me some ankle weights. Now, if you're an athlete and you go way back, you know that that was about the high-tech, that was the high-tech way to increase your vertical. Wear these cheap ankle weights around your ankle everywhere you go. Tony, in fact, I think you used to wear them along with me. Yeah. And I don't know if they worked or not, you know, but we wore them. And so I begged my dad, Daddy, would you buy me some ankle weights, please? I want to dunk the basketball. White men can't jump, okay? But uh, anyway, I, 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 didn't, I didn't buy that. So I, I got these ankle weights, you know, and man, I was so proud of these things. I went everywhere with them. But you don't play with them. You take them off when you play. So we were playing some pickup ball, and I took the ankle weights off at Metairie Playground in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I put the ankle weights underneath the basketball goal, you know, and, and so my dad comes to pick me up in a 1976 LTD Brown Ford. Anybody ever seen one of those, an LTD Ford? Okay. I, I, Mark, you've seen it all, right? I had a, I'll never forget this car, man, because I can see it pulling up right now to the playground. 76 LTD. It was the best Ford you could buy at the time, you know. I jump in this LTD. I get in. We're driving home. We get about half halfway home and I realized I forgot the ankle weights it's fixing to get ugly and I'm nervous because I know I've got to say dad I forgot the ankle weights and I know dad just bought these and he told me to be responsible and I wasn't responsible so but I gotta say something before we get home so I swallow you know real deep and I say dad yes son uh I forgot the ankle weights at the playground and sure enough, what? You did what? I just got you those things. He turns the car. He just told the this, this story. This is like, you know, 50 years later. You know, he's telling my kids this story. He turns around. He drives back to the playground. I'm getting it all the way, you know. It wasn't abuse. A little over the top. Dad apologizes to this day. Sometimes I called my dad yesterday to say happy Father's Day. And yesterday, I'm 54. He's 78. And dad said, I said, happy Father's Day. Well, I know you're not calling me because I've been the perfect dad. I know, son, sometimes I would, I'd, I'd, I'd raise my voice a little bit and get, get a little over the top. And I know sometimes I, you know, I'd like to think I, I, I didn't ever cross the line, but I know I did. I mean, still to this day, dad's humility and his asking his 54-year-old son to forgive him for the times he was intimidating. Can I say this? My own son, Joe, was in the service today. He knows this. He heard this in the first service. I've been that many times. I just have. I mean, I, I, my flesh can get the best of me, and at times I can have an intimidating attitude. I mean, honestly, I can't remember the last time I did this. I've never done it with my grandchildren, and I think I've kind of grown past this and learned from it. And I really, I think it's probably maybe been 10, 15 years since I can think of the last time. Maybe. But I, I, I know that I made that mistake. It's not abuse. And I don't want to call it abuse to minimize real abuse. But I do want to say that it's a level one. It's a leading two. And if it's not dealt with, and if it's ignored, it becomes level two, controlling behavior. This is where we're unkind. We're unreasonable. We refuse to discuss things. This is my house! And it gets a little stronger. It's controlling. It's to the point now where some fear's involved. It's not just intimidating. Now it's, it's controlling. Maybe not abuse. Maybe not. But definitely it's leading to something ugly. 
Third level is, is what I'm going to call damaging behavior. Damaging behavior is insulting, it's intimidating, it's demeaning. It, 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 it degrading looks. <laughs> kind of you idiot type thing. Can I go as far as to say maybe, can I, can I come right to the edge of abuse and say, it might even grab the arm. Look at me, look at me. And that's borderline abuse, I'll go that. But I'm just going to say, let's put the grabbing of the arm with damaging behavior. Let's just say we are right there. Remember, we said, did my father persist in spite of damage to others? I'm telling you, church, listen, we are all here today to learn. Dads, it's Father's Day. I want you to know we're here to become the kind of dads we need to be. And this behavior is unacceptable. It should never be rationalized. It should never be approved ever. And then it's abusive behavior. This is unlawful. I mean, this could include sexual activity. Bruising physically or emotionally. Repeated physical contact. Frequent tirades that cause people to shrink back. I mean, there's some things on that list you'd honestly have to call the police for. Because nothing godly about enduring abuse. There, there's nothing godly about enduring abuse. And, and I want to say that when, a, when the authority structure in the home fails, there is scripture that tells us that God gives the authority structure then to the church and to society to protect. That's why we have police, private investigators. That's why we have governmental officials. If the home is not going to do what God has called it to do, the church can step in or social, the social uh, government can step in. What am I saying? I'm simply saying Romans 13, by the way, is where you'll find that. I'm, I'm saying there are levels to this, and I'm walking tenderly and gingerly to make sure that all of us understand some have experienced that in this building. And there's wounds from this. And there's hurts from this. And I'm saying today, Father God can heal that. He can heal that. And then for others who have not maybe crossed that line, I want to say, can we just, can, can, can we learn from this? And can we begin to say, as Saul should have said, I'm sorry. I repent. I'm sorry. How many times have my kids had to hear me say those words? And it might be the reason why they're still in church today. Who knows? At least one of the reasons. All that to say that there is another question, and, and I want to get to that now. Like Saul, did my father refuse the warnings of man and God? Did he just refuse the warnings? I mean, you know what? Sometimes I think that we refuse God's warnings by knowing what the preacher's preaching next Sunday and saying, I'm not going. That's what you get for announcing your sermon title. I ain't going to go there and just, you know, put myself in a place where I'm going to feel bad about the fact that I'm not. Look, I said this this morning. If you've got to walk out, don't worry, you can walk out. I'm using this as an example. But I've seen it before in 27 years of preaching. Somebody storm out the church. You know, somebody get up and just kind of, you can see, they grab their Bible. It's just not like, you know. They got to go to the bathroom. It's obvious. <laughs> In other words, I reject, I reject, I reject the teaching, I reject the preaching, I reject the Holy Spirit. I'm out of here. I'm not listening to this anymore. And I find this to be concerning. 
you know, the Holy Spirit of God is there to correct us. He loves us enough to correct us. And when he does correct us, it's not mean and ugly, but it is a correction that we desperately need. And when we resist that and reject that, it's only going to get worse. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 8 is where we're going to take this next thought real quickly. It says, and first of all, just to let you know this, verse 1 through 7, God had told Saul to destroy the Amalekites and everything they own. If you've been in church a while or Sunday school, this is one of those familiar stories that oftentimes we've heard, you know, God says, destroy all the Amalekites and everything they have. We're, we understand and we've heard that story and, and maybe you're, you know, having to reflect a little bit back to it. But here, let, me, let me just kind of quickly give you the overview here. So it says in verse 8 that he took Agag, Saul, took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And devoured to destruction all the people with the edge of uh, devo- uh, rather uh, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. Wait a minute, God said destroy all of it, and He is sparing some of it. The best of the sheep, the best of the oxen, the best of the fatted calf, the best of the lambs, everything that was good and would not He would not utterly destroy them. So we have a problem here. God said to do this, and he's rejecting what God said. So the word of the Lord, look at verse number 10, comes to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. He's not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed off and on and went down to Gilgal and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him hey Sammy blessed be the Lord I have performed the commandment of the Lord it's as if he thinks he's right God told him to destroy all the Amalekites and everything they had Samuel comes and he says hey Sam what's up I just got finished doing everything God told me to do. Look at Samuel's response. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen? So if you did everything God told you to do, then why do I hear sheep and oxen? If you were supposed to destroy everything, what's all that about? And Saul says, well, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, they, they brought them from the Amalekites. I mean, you know, the people spared the best from the... I mean, obviously, we weren't going to take everything. And the oxen, the sacrifice to the Lord your God, the rest we did. Well, I mean, I mean, we sort of... I guess we didn't do... I mean, we did sort of. Then Samuel says to Saul, stop. Stop it. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. Let me say this. It's possible to think that you're 100% right when, in fact, you're 100% wrong. That's a startling statement, isn't it? He thought he was right. I mean, he went along doing this that was total disobedience, but in his mind, he was right. And yet, he was 100% wrong. Dads, we've got to lead with more humility. We've got to lead with, not out of this haughty, arrogant attitude that says, we're right and everybody around us is wrong. We've got to listen. Keep our ears open, not rush to judgment. That's what God the Father does. He loves us and, and he understands and he, he's there for us. And he, listen, I just want to say this. At times, I think we can learn from these stories, even though 
They're extreme. Next one. Like Saul, did my father seem oblivious to his growing insanity? The story gets worse. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, as we address this last question. It says here above the passage here that Saul tried to kill David. And everybody here knows that Saul tried to kill David, right? But look at the insane way that he went about doing it. Verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Look at verse 8. Or verse 6. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, Saul's, uh, Saul's uh, son. And as the Lord lives, he swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So verse 1, kill David. Verse 6, don't kill David. Verse 11, five verses later, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. So verse 1, kill David. Verse 6, don't kill David. Verse 11, kill David. How many of you see the unstableness in this man's... This guy's insane. He's all over the place. He's up and down. He's raising children in a home where one day something's right, one day something's wrong, one day something's right, one day something's wrong, one day it's no, one day it's yes. Tremendous instability in this home. Look at verse, chapter 20, verse 30. David is back in Saul's home. They just finished eating at the king's table and Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, his own son. And he says, he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. He said that to his own son. Now, I don't know what kind of freedom and liberty you have in Christ, but in the margin of your Bible, that's basically S-O-B. He called his own son, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me. He shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul's father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? And here's Saul's response. He hurls the spear to strike his own son. Insanity. David knows that Saul is insane. Jonathan knows that Saul is insane. Samson knows that Saul is insane. Samuel knows that Saul is insane. Saul's servants know that Saul is insane. It seems the only person that does not know that Saul is insane is Saul. He's oblivious to his growing insanity. He's an abusive father. So let's define abuse. Let me say again, let's not minimize real abuse by calling something abuse that is not abuse. So here's how we're going to do it. Let's define it. Abuse is this. It is callous disregard for cruel behavior. That's abuse. Callous. Let's break it down word by word. Callous meaning I don't feel the pain anymore. You ever had a callous? You have a callous? It's something that hardens on your skin. You work it so much that it calluses over and you don't feel that pain anymore. Callous disregard. The word disregard is, I don't care. I have no feeling anymore. The word cruel. You know it's painful, but you don't stop. You know that it hurts, but you don't apologize. You don't care. You let your, you let the person just deal with it. You, you, you have no problem with some of the levels of abuse that we discussed and, and never apologizing, never dealing with it, just letting it get worse. And then behavior. Behavior meaning you choose that. That's your choice. You choose that behavior, whether it's active or passive. 
So the question comes then, have you been abused? Did your father rationalize beyond all reason? Did your father persist in spite of the damage that was done to others? Did your father refuse the warnings of man and God? Did your father seem oblivious to his growing insanity? The effects of abuse are devastating. And that's why within a church family, you can find love and acceptance and, and people who care and understand that, you know, you need, you need help and you need God and you need others to come around you and come beside you and, and love you through this difficult season of your life. But most importantly, you need God who can heal every father, human father wound you have. So what are the consequences of these abusive father wounds? Well, we see it in verse 34 of that very story there in that text of chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. After the spear gets thrown at Jonathan, Saul's son, he rises from the table in what? Do you see it? In what? Somebody say it. In fierce anger. The first consequence of abusive father's wound, abusive father wounds is anger. Abuse involves immense injustice that we can't do anything about. And that's why so many abused people have become abusers because of unresolved anger. They've not dealt with it. And because they've not dealt with it, they find themselves angry themselves. The second thing we see here in this story is, in this verse rather, Jonathan rises from the table in fierce anger and he eats no food. I want to draw your attention to this thought of avoidance. He, he doesn't eat. He avoids the pain. He avoids the situation. Again, I want to say this, when you don't oppose abuse that is happening right in front of you, you are enabling the abuse. George Bush said it right after 911. If you are a terrorist or if you are harboring terrorists, we're coming after you. If you're an abuser or you're enabling abusers, you're wrong. And we're not afraid to address it at this church. We're not afraid to say this is a situation that needs to be dealt with. So someone can live the victorious Christian life. There's so many things that God wants to do to heal those wounds. And the, and the way to get there is not to enable it or ignore it. The third word is grief. Notice here it says that he rose in fierce anger. He ate no food. And the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David. Grief is profound sadness over what is lost and cannot be recovered. Lost innocence. Lost trust, lost relationships. And then finally, notice the shame. Because David, because his father had disgraced him. The shame, the consequence of an abusive father wound. Now let me transition into these closing thoughts because this is where it gets real. This is where God the Father enters the picture. Because I want to say again, as I've said multiple times in this message in different ways, that there are no perfect fathers, including this pastor, of father of five. And were it not for God the Father, you know, I'm not sure why my children are all honestly in church today. I know it's not because of me. I could take very little credit, if any. To be honest, I've had people say to me, hey, tell me how you did it. When are you going to write a book? I'm like, I ain't writing no book. I'm not against books on how to raise kids, but we didn't do it right. We let them stay up as long as they wanted to. Ask them. We laugh about it. There's no bedtime. We gave them cereal at midnight. Lucky Charms. You don't do that, church. That is not smart to let your kids eat Lucky Charms at midnight. You feed them Fiber One, right? Now, that's abuse. That's abuse. 
Fiber one is disgusting. Any kid that would be made to eat fiber one, that parent needs to be in jail. That's abuse. We gave them sweet cereal. They, our kids laugh at our parenting. They're like, Dad, we, we put our kids to bed like at eight. You know, you let us stay up till midnight. I'm like, well, and we, we, you know, it's this crazy life, you know. We, I don't know how they turned out right except God's grace. God's grace. He deserves all the credit. We tried to do the best we could. We followed his words. We did the best we could. We were in church every Sunday, praise God. So that means I was under a lot of Holy Ghost conviction. That's all that means. That's not like, oh, I was a great church member. That just means, no, I just got slapped around a lot by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. It's nice to get corrected every Sunday by Jesus. It's nice. It's, it's a loving thing. I, I'm glad I was in church to hear what the preacher had to say, even sometimes, though it hurt when I left. I hadn't done so well that week. But he loved me anyway, and he, he, he seemed to step in and love my kids when I wasn't there. And my wife can say the, attest to this, even though I know my kids wished me happy Father's Day and said I was a great dad, and Caroline's encouraged me today. The truth is, I don't deserve any credit. It all belongs to God the Father. His love was so much deeper and wider and stronger. I'm just glad he let me be a small part. And so, dads, here it is, the Father's love. It's in Zechariah 3.17. Look at it on the screen. The Lord your God is your, he's in your midst. He's a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You see, what we've been singing about this morning is the Father's love. How deep the Father's love for us. Our invitation in just a moment is going to speak about the Father's love, that we are a child of God because of the Father's love for us. Because he sent his only son to die for us. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood on Calvary made a way for us to get to the Father and experience that love. God loves you. And here's what he does with that abusive wound. I want you to pay close attention to everything in capital letters. Do you see it on the screen? He will quiet you by his love. Let's think about that word quiet for just a minute. That's an awesome word quiet. That's how God loves you first. He just kind of, you're hurting, you're struggling, you're going through some stuff. And here's what he does. He just kind of, he doesn't say a thing. He's just quiet. He's just there. No judgment, no condemnation. No correction, no advice. He's just there. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to somebody who's been through a lot is for somebody to walk in with all this advice. Well, let me tell you what I would do. Well, I've been there. Well, I can tell you what I would do. Well, I know. I heard somebody went through that. And this is what. And here's a book. And here's this. And here's that. Sometimes we just need somebody to quietly just sit next to us. Just knowing they're there. That's what God the Father says he does. He loves us quietly. No pressure to explain anything. The one who can say everything says nothing. Shh. I'm here. I love you. And then he says, I want you to listen to the word you. He'll quiet you. He'll quiet your mind. Why does he need to quiet your mind? Because that's the thing that bothers us the most. The pain of the abuse, the suffering we went through. 
it, it reviews in our minds over and over again. And that's what they tell us. They tell us it's hard to get these images, these thoughts, these things that have happened out of our minds. And God says, I'm just going to quiet you. I'm going to quiet your mind. I'm going to focus on your mind. I'm going to give you peace. And then he's going to quiet your heart that hurts and hurts and hurts. He's going to quiet then your mouth that sometimes because of the pain you went through. Remember we talked about that anger? Sometimes the angriest people in the world are those that have received so much anger themselves. And we're quick sometimes to anger, aren't we? And God says, I'm going to quiet your mouth so that you're slow to speak. So that you can forgive and get past this. Get the victory over it. And then I want you to notice the words, by his love. Because when he finally breaks the silence, he is going to be singing over you. And I want you to go back to that verse, Nate, for just a moment. Because I want you to see it. When he finishes quieting you by his love, here's what, he breaks the silence. All of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, it's not quiet anymore. No, no, no. Now, the band has begun. The guitars are playing, the drums are jamming, the guitars are going, and I hear some music. What do I hear? It's the Father. The Father is singing. He's singing over me. He loves me. He's singing with loud singing. He wants to make sure that that I know how much He loves me. And so in just a moment, our worship team will begin to sing. They'll sing a song about the Father's love. And it goes like this. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song. Of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear for I'm a child of God. From my mother's womb you have chosen me. Get this, get this. Love has called my name. I'm born again into your family. Your blood flows through my vein. I'm no longer a slave to fear for I'm a child of God. God's unchanging, unconditional, unrelenting, undeserved, all-healing love is what we all need this morning. God loves me. God loves me. I know my dad loves me. I know that. But that's not the love that keeps me anchored. I mean, I know I know we make mistakes. And my dad had made a mistake. And, and, and it didn't work out. And I didn't get to be raised with a father in the home. And I get that. And it's okay, Dad. It's okay. I love you, and I know you love me. And I know you feel bad about it, but it's okay, Dad, because there was a God in heaven who loved me. He found me. He brought me to a church. He gave me people around me. Many of you don't know this, but Dave Chittam was my first Sunday school teacher. When my dad wasn't there, Dave Chittam was. That's why I love these men. I'm not here today as a result of the perfect home. I'm here today as the result of the perfect father who, who fixed all of the damage, who, who was always there when other people weren't there. And that's what he wants to be for you. And so as we sing this song in just a moment, I'm going to ask the worship team to sing it over you. He's going to exalt over you. We just want to sing over you this morning. I'm going to pray over you this morning. And I'm really asking that everybody in the building as we... Maybe for the first few moments, remain seated. And then as you feel led to stand and worship, you can. But I really want to ask you to pray with somebody this morning. 
I prayed with my son Joe, and there was somebody that was by themselves, and so I pulled him into my group, and we prayed. I just, I, I just think my house needs to be called the house of prayer. God said, and, and sometimes in the invitation, I think it's wise, especially when we know there are some, there, there are hurting people that need someone just to pray with them. It may be you, and it may be me. Let's just pray together. Make sure that no one's left out. If you see someone sitting by themselves, just say, hey, come right on in here. Let's, let's pray. And as they begin to, as, as it gets louder, maybe then end the praying and just start worshiping. And let's let the Father minister to us his love this morning. And then finally, if you're here this morning, you've never been saved. You, you don't know Christ as your Savior. And all of this is sort of a, at this point, just you're sort of trying to figure it out. What does it mean? And What's all this about? I want you to know it's about a God in heaven who loved you so much he sent his only son to die for your sins. And he can make a way for you to have a relationship with this father I'm talking about. It's amazing. You need that. You come forward and you find one of us, somebody on this platform, one of the ushers who mainly they're deacons or good men in our church that would be glad to open the Bible or to spend a moment or even to set up a time this week to get with you, whatever you need. Father, I love you and I thank you for this moment of prayer.